Shalom. As we return to our discussion of Shemitah's inner message, we were focusing on the fact that the Torah describes in Parsha Pahar, the Parsha that primarily deals with the laws of Shemitah, the concept that Shemitah is le'ochla. Vaya Shabbat ha, vaya Shabbat ha'aretz lachem le'ochla. That this Shabbat of the land, the Shemitah year, is supposed to be le'ochla, to be eaten. And we saw that this term la'achla brings us back to Adam Arishon, to the dawn of creation where Adam Arishon was given all the fruits of the ground la'achla in order to eat. And this word la'achla appears again at the time of Noah. And this word la'achla appears again in the Torah at the time of the eating of the man in the desert. And the question is, what is the connection? And how deep does this term la'achla connect us to the roots of what Shemitah's inner message is all about. In the same Parsha and Parsha Bahar, we saw that the Torah discusses the concept of Shabbaton. Shabbaton teaches us along the lines of the Ramban in Parsha Emor, where the Ramban tells us that the mitzvah of Shabbaton tells us that the essence of the day of Shabbat is not the concept of Lotasekomalacha. Is restrictive in the sense that it tells us what we can't do on Shabbat. We can't perform malacha. The term malacha, which brings us back to the creation of the world, <clears throat> what did he finish? What did God complete? <laughs> he completed all his malacha. And malacha takes us again to the building of the Mishkan, where it was built. <laughs> which thoughtful, creative creation. The word melacha is also the description of those actions which are forbidden on Shabbat. We're prohibited from performing melacha on Shabbat. If one would focus on Shabbat as lo that which one cannot do, so Shabbos would be a day of sheva al Shabbat would be a day of sitting back and ensuring that one does not perform the forbidden activities. Says the Ramban, but if a person is smart, certainly if he's sinister, he'll be able to figure out ways of doing everything he does during the week, but not performing any malacha. He could go and run his business and have a non-Jew sitting right next to him writing down all the contracts and the like. Says the Ramban, therefore the mitzvah of Shabbaton tells us that the mitzvah of Shabbat is not only what you don't do, but it is what you do do. It's connecting to the spirit of the day. It's understanding the significance and the fact that all these prescriptions, all these prohibited actions are because they're prescriptions. They are prescriptions for being able to experience what Shabbat is all about. From the fact that the Torah uses in the context of Shabbat Haaretz, in the context of the Shemitah year, that same term, Shabbaton, and mentions it more than once, it teaches us that the primary part of Shemitah is not only the forbidden, prohibited activities, which one cannot do in planting one's field, but Shabbaton connecting to the spirit of the day. Shemitah has to be a year unlike any other year. And what we started to see is not only the year unlike any other year in what one does or does not do in one's field, but it's also a year not like any other year because it provides the outlook for how we can be involved in the world. How can we develop a Jewish economy in the land of Israel? How can we understand how to acquire land and to build our land and to be involved in the physical world while at the same time not losing focus of who HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
is and how he the big he is the one who provides even when it looks like our physical actions in the field are actually responsible for our success and we went and we saw that when Adam Arishon was placed in Gan Eden, he was commanded, he essentially was commanded to safeguard HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world while being involved in spiritual pursuits. And through his involvement in spiritual pursuits and listening to the Word of God, eating only from the Eitz HaChayim and the other fruits of the garden, but not partaking of the Eitz HaDat Tovara, that would ensure that Adam Arishon would be able to be the ultimate the ultimate man, eating and recognizing that that which he has comes due to his connection to God, due to his spiritual pursuits. However, when Adam Arishon ate from the eight Hadat, it essentially required that man was now going to have to work the field in order to eat. And by the sweat of your brow, and how easy it would be for Adam Arishon to forget, and his involvement in acquisition to let him think even for a moment that it is he, his acquisitions, his possessions, his bright, smart ideas, which are responsible for his physical success. This, we read from the Pirkei de Rebeliezer, was the plan of a, an angel who was out for Adam's lack of success. This was the angel known as Samech Mem. And this angel, Samech Mem, adequately adequately succeeded in sending Adam Arishon out of Gan Eden and putting this world challenge for Adam Arishon to be involved physically in the world but at the same time to remember that it's God. And we traced last week through many of the explanations of Rav Hirsch and others we traced last week that this continued with Cain and Hevel. Cain, the man of Kenyan, the man of acquisition who decided to be a farmer, unlike Hevel, who decided to be a shepherd. Shepherd means cultivating others, caring for the needs of animals, working on one's character and personality. While Cain became a man of acquisition. And through his acquisition, the land got the best of him. He became someone so enamored by being able to acquire more, by being able to have more, that he ended up killing his brother. This challenge, which Cain failed to succeed at, is a challenge which, understandably, the Jewish people shied away from at the beginning. All of our avod, all of our forefathers, were shepherds. They were involved in the cultivation of the needs of animals, rather than the cultivation of land. And understandably so. The Medrash even tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen to be the leader of the Jewish people because of the care which he showed when he was shepherding others' animals. It was that care which brought him following after one sheep till he got to the snabble, er by age, to the burning bush, and the rest is history. That shepherding, those qualities, essentially allow for one to focus one's energies on others and thereby to develop this care and concern which is so essential to Jewish leadership. But at the same time, are we really supposed to be a people which has no acquisition of land, which is not involved in the physical world whatsoever? Is that really our goal? Secondly, 
if we are not involved in the physical land. So then there will be nothing to shepherd. How are we going to be able to provide crops and to be able to provide grazing grounds for our animals if we're not involved in the land? And if you look, though we described last week, plan A, plan A of our Kodesh Baruch who put Adam Arishon in the Garden of Eden, if he would not eat from the Eitzadat Tovarah, he'd be able to continue his existence of Avodat Hashem v'shmirat mitzvot l'avdol shamra in its initial sense, and to be able to have this developed relationship with God which will provide him with all his physical needs. But, after that failure, what would happen? So if one looks in the Zohar Kodosh and one sees some of the beautiful explanations of some of the Mephorshim involved a little bit later in time, at the time of Yaakov Avinu and Esav his brother, one finds that plan B was going to replace plan A. What was plan B? When we think of Yaakov and Esav, we often think of Yaakov as the tzaddik, the righteous individual, as opposed to Esav, who is that evil Russia from birth. However, one has to ask oneself, why were these two children born to the same parents? Now you might say, what do you mean? We already know that Yitzchak was born alongside Yishmael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Yitzchak. Yitzchak, Kibi Yitzchak, Ikarei Lechazara, Avram Avinu was told, only in Yitzchak will be your continuation, your seed. At the same time, there's a big difference between Yaakov and Esau as opposed to Yitzchak and Yishmael. Yitzchak and Yishmael were born to different mothers. Yitzchak and Yishmael did not have a unified purpose in existence. And therefore, there would have to be a choice made. Are you going to choose the Ben Sarah, the son of Sarah Imenu, or is Yishmael, the son of Hagar, going to be chosen? Hagar, who according to the Medrash, was the daughter of Paru. Who is going to be chosen? And there, understandably, Yitzchak was chosen for his illustrious qualities, and Yishmael was turned aside. However, Yaakov and Esau were two totally different things. Yaakov and Esau were not just brothers from one father. They had the same parents. And not only the, the, the same parents, but as the Pasuk says, they were twins. The ultimate idea. If we want to have a spiritual existence with involvement in the physical world, what would be seemingly the ideal way to do so if we're no longer in the Garden of Eden? If we're no longer there, what can we do? Very simply, we have to break apart with our missions. One side of our nation will be involved in the physical and one side in the spiritual. So explains the Malbim. The Malbim says, that if you look at the greater picture, Malbim in Bereshit, Perk Chavzayin, Pasuk Aleph, he says that don't think for a moment that there wasn't an initial purpose in Yaakov and Esav being born as twin brothers. Yaakov and Esav were born as twin brothers because there was a twin mission. The mission which had started with Adam Arishon to be involved in the physical world minimally while gaining through one's connection with God in the physical world through one's spiritual pursuits, that was supposed to be continued. Yaakov and Esau 
were a tag team. As we mentioned before, Yitzhak Avinu was the only one of the Avot who besides being a shepherd was also involved in agriculture. Vayizra, the Pasuk says that Yitzhak planted Bashanahahi in that year and he achieved Mea She'arim a hundredfold. Why did Yitzhak Avinu plant? Because Yitzhak Avinu understood. Yitzhak Avinu, the one of the Avot who never left Eretz Yisrael. Yitzhak Avinu recognized that for the Jewish people to be in Eretz Yisrael for ultimate, for ultimate eternity, as a little hint for what we'll see soon, for the Jewish people to be able to be involved in the land and experience the mitzvot of Tzot Ba'aretz, the agricultural mitzvot of the land, alongside the mitzvah of Shemitah, which is going to provide the focus that the Jewish people need in order to provide a Jewish economy and a Jewish society. If so, Yitzhak Avinu understood that our connection to Eretz Yisrael is going to involve agriculture as well. And therefore, when Yitzhak Avinu looked at his two sons, Yitzhak Avinu understood, perfect, I was born, I gave... I had two sons born as twins with a unified mission. Yitzchak saw in Yaakov the Ishtam Yoshevo Alim, the one of pureness, of wholesomeness, the one who knew how to study, who knew how to hit the books, the one who was going to be the prime spiritual provider for the entire nation as well as the entire world, as the Jewish people would be the Orla Goyim, the light unto the nation. But what did Yitzhak Avinu see in Esav? Some might say Yitzhak Avinu was fooled by Esav into seeing within him a tremendous tzaddik, the spiritual leader of the rest of humanity. But the Malbim says, no. Yitzhak Avinu saw in Esav something different. What was Esav's tzayid b'fif? How did Esav trap Yitzhak? How did he trick him? Very simply, what he did is, he said as follows, Esav was the Ish Sadeh. He was the man of the field. Esav as the Ish Sadeh could have been a dual Av with Yaakov Avinu. He could have been the tag team champion with Yaakov Avinu. Had he only been an Ish Sadeh, committed to being the physical provider for Yaakov Avinu and his spiritual message to all of humanity. Essentially what Esav could do is bring the Jewish people back to Gan Eden. To the Gan Eden existence. No longer could we have plan A where Adam Arishon as one individual could be involved in just cultivating from the outside La'ovdol Shamrah being involved in spiritual pursuits and gaining physically. Now we were going to need a dual mission. We're also going to be involved in the physical world. But Yitzhak Avinu saw the potential. He saw the possibility of Ace of being the physical provider and leaving Yaakov Avinu the time and the wherewithal to be able to just focus on his spiritual needs and to be able to bring the nation towards heights which otherwise would be unattainable. Says the Malbim, that's what Yitzhak Avinu saw in Esav. And you want to know what? Esav had that potential. Esav had the potential to be the one to bring the Jewish people back. 
to be able to provide for Yaakov Avinu that Yaakov Avinu could remain the Ishtam Yosheva Ali. But something happened. Esav decided to abrogate his mission. Esav was so involved in being an Ishadeh that it took over him. And through Esav's involvement in the Sadeh, he decided he wanted no part of the Bechorah. He wanted no part of being that tag team. And if you think about it for a moment, what Esav could have done is bring the Jewish people back to that unified mission, to the unified mission of, of Gan Eden, of bringing us back to this Gan Eden existence, where the original La'ochla, with the original commandment of to eat from the fruits, to eat from the physical fruits with an understanding of the spiritual power which allows those physical fruits to grow. But what happened? Where did failure set in? So, in a fascinating way, the Zohar Kodosh tells us a story behind the story. But before we see that, think about it for a moment. Where was Gan Eden? Who was the first individual who was buried in Ma'arat HaMachpelah? according to the Midrash, the first person to be buried there was Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon decided to bury his wife, Chavadeh. Why did he bury her there? Because Adam Arishon, who knew what Gan Eden was, who had been there, smelled the smell of Gan Eden and he started digging and digging and digging till he got over the Petach Gan Eden, till he got over the entranceway into Gan Eden. And he wanted to continue. And a bat call, a voice came out from the heavens and said, Ad Khan You can bury here at the entrance to Gan Eden. And you want to know what? Set up here in Ma'arat HaMachpelah. Set up here the headquarters for what is going to bring the world back to Gan Eden. And afterwards, Adam Arishon was not the only one. Because Avram Avinu understood what Gan Eden was all about. And he went there. And he buried Sarah there. And Yitzchak. And Rivka. And then afterwards. Who was there room for? So Yaakov Avinu was buried there. But so was Esau. Or let's at least say part of Esau. The Medrash explains that Esau came and was unwilling when the brothers came to bury their father Yaakov with all the people of Egypt all the dignitaries of Egypt. The Medrash tells us that Esau said, what are your rights to be buried here? Basically a whole dispute ensued where Naphtali went to go back to Mitzrayim in order to get the deed of sale of the Bechorah to prove that it was Yaakov Aminu's right to be buried there. But in the process, Esau was killed by Chushim Bendan. And Chushim Bendan killed Esau by slicing his head. Esau's head was buried in Marat although his body wasn't. What is the deeper significance of this medrash? Very simple. Esau was supposed to be an Av. There were four Imahos, there was room for four Avos. But what happened? Esau decided he wasn't interested. Esau's body removed, disconnected from his head. He had no connection to the vision. And therefore, being an Ish Sadeh, being a man of agriculture and a man of the land, without the connection to the spiritual head, resulted in failure. 
Yaakov Avinu wanted his mission. Esau did not. And therefore Esau could not have been one of the others. But why was Esau not interested? What was it about his mission? So the Zohar Kodesh tells us in a fascinating way and even somewhat in a scary way. It tells us as follows. It tells us that the failure, Samech Mem's success in making Adam Arishon fail continued until there was a chance for plan B. Until this great tree of a man, this holy individual Yaakov Avinu came. He fought Saro Shalesov. He fought in order to get the Bechorah back. Because Yaakov Avinu realized that Samech Mem had now taken over his brother Esav. Samech Mem understood that if we would have this process where Yaakov Avinu could be involved only in spiritual pursuits and Esav was committed to his vision and committed to his message and committed to his purpose in existence of being the physical provider so then the Jewish people, mankind, would be unstoppable because it would be so easy to recognize through the teachings of Yaakov, through the full spiritual focus, that who really provides, not Esav, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we'd be able to return to Gan Eden in a successful manner. And therefore, Samach Mem possessed Esav. And that was Saru Shal Esav who Yaakov Avinu battled. Because Yaakov Avinu understood that if Esav wasn't interested in his mission, so he had to receive two brachot from Yitzchak. Yitzchak had never intended to give Birkas Avram the bracha of chosenness to Esav, because he knew that Esav was never going to be the spiritual messenger of the world. But he did think he would be the physical provider. And therefore the bracha, the bracha of physical success, which was originally intended for Esav, was given to Yaakov Avinu. And Yaakov Avinu understood now that he had to be both the physical provider as well as the spiritual messenger, as well as the spiritual teacher of the world. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu immediately went, after studying in 14 years of Shem Ve'ever, to the house of Lavan. He went to the house of Lavan to get married, to find a wife. But he also went to be able to be involved in the physical world and to be able to maintain. Even though he was amongst the chief of deception of the world, of Lavan, the evil Lavan, he had to remain committed to his message of spiritual pursuits. And therefore, when Yaakov Avinu confronts Esav, afterwards, he sends a message, Im Lavan Garti, and Chazal tell us, Im Lavan Garti, the word Garti is Gematria and letters of Tayag, 613. I lived with Lavan. I was involved in the physical world, but don't think even for a moment, says Yaakov, that I did not remain committed to my spiritual message. Yaakov Avinu says the Zohar Kodos was Shufrei the Adam Arishon. He had the visage of Adam Arishon. Yaakov Avinu was the continuation. But now Yaakov Avinu had to do both. And the Jewish people as a people would not have Esau's and Yaakov's, would not have the physical providers for the spiritual message, 
but would have to give across that spiritual message while at the same time being involved in the physical world. Samach Mem had succeeded in veering Esau from the mission, but he did not succeed in veering Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu now had to be a Yaakov Avinu of the Ishtam Yosheva Alim, while at the same time a Yaakov Avinu who could live in the house of Lavan, who could be involved in the marketplace and still remain committed to honesty and the ideals of HaKadosh Baruch Not an easy mission. However, that is the mission of the Jewish people. And what happened with the children of Yaakov Avinu? What happened with the children of Yaakov Avinu is fascinating. On the one hand, amongst the children of Yaakov Avinu, there would emerge a Shevet, Shevet Levi, who would have as close a possibility to this original mission. They would be the ones who would focus on Yoru Mishpatech Yaakov Yisrael to be the spiritual teachers of the Jewish people. And they would not be given a Nachala Ba'aretz, they would not be given a special portion of the land because they would be the ones spiritually focused. Yerushim by Yochai says, Lo nitna Torah amon. Something we'll explain more later. But the Torah was given to people who did not have to work for their food, who could focus on their spiritual efforts. They were eating mon min But he continues, Ushniyam lahem ochle truma. And secondary to them are those who eat truma. Shevet Levi, the Kohanim, who eat, and the Levim, who eat truma and miser. These are the ones who don't work the land. And therefore they're able to be as close to this plan B as possible of being those spiritual teachers who don't have to be involved in the physical world. However, once Yaakov Avinu had to take upon both missions, so then the Jewish people as a whole are a people who are involved in the physical world while at the same time being the ones who bear the spiritual message of the purpose of the world, of why the world was created, of being able to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu even amongst all the physical things we find in our world. How can that be done? This is the ultimate question, and this is where Shemitah is going to play a fundamental role. Because if you look at Yaakov Avinu's own children, Yaakov Avinu's own children became shepherds. And while becoming shepherds, it was not only a choice that we are shepherds because, what else do we know how to do? It was a choice of being shepherds for those original reasons we saw, as Rav Hirsch explained. They became shepherds for the very simple reason that they recognized, that the life of acquisition, they saw what had happened to their uncle Esau. They saw that in order for them to be able to succeed, it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to focus on cultivating their character and cultivating their lessons. However, as we saw, there was a dual message to the Jewish people. Yaakov Avinu could not only be the shepherd. Yaakov Avinu could not only be the Ishtam Yosheva Alim. Yaakov Avinu was going to have to be one who shared that deeper significance of the lesson of what the Jewish mission is going to be. We are going to have to be involved in the physical world. And there is one of these sons of Yaakov Avinu who recognizes this son of Yaakov Avinu recognized it, but had a difficult life for doing so. And this was none other than Yosef. What Yosef understood is 
that the world would not remain in a way where the Jewish people could only shepherd their land. He understood that at some point there is going to have to be a connection to the Sadeh. And therefore it's understandable that Yosef dreamt two dreams. What were his two dreams? He dreamt about the Shemesh, the Areach, and the Ascharasar Kochavim. He dreamt about things in the heavens. Understandable. That's where the focus was. But he also dreamt about bundles and sheaves. And the Torah tells us that the brothers, upon hearing this dream, hated him even more. Rav Hirsch explains in a fascinating manner. It is remarkable that Yosef should have dreamt of binding sheaves. That was something which with, with which they, the brothers, ordinarily had no connection. They were shepherds. Becoming an agricultural pe- people was still only their destiny in the distant future. If agriculture was so much in Yosef's mind that he even dreamt of it, the brothers were justified in thinking that this could only be due to the teaching and information given to him by his father regarding the unexpected, the expected national destiny of the family. All the more then could the brothers believe themselves justified in saying to Yosef, will you indeed rule over us, be king over us, or perhaps even now already rule over us? What was it that Yosef saw that he dreamt of the binding of sheaves that was so foreign to the Jewish people at that point? That was so foreign to the brothers, explains Rav Salavechik in one of his fascinating five addresses. Biblical Yosef was not persuaded that Yaakov dwelt in the land of his father's wanderings would endure for long. The words of Brit Ben Abtarim, your seed shall be strangers in an alien land, kept tolling in his ears. He saw himself and his brothers in an alien environment, far from the land of Canaan, in new circumstances and under new conditions of life. In his dream he saw, Behold, we are binding sheaves, we are no longer in Canaan. We are in the land of Egypt and can no longer be shepherds. We are integrated in a new economy with styles of living characteristics and laws. Basically, he dreamt of a new framework within which the unity of the family could be preserved, even in the far-flung places where the creator of the universe would, would scatter them. His constant preoccupation was the continuation of Avram's t- tradition amidst a new economic structure and civilization. Yosef's brothers were not re- yet, yet ready for the future. But Yosef understood that there would come a time where, number one, the Jewish people would be scattered amongst the nations. There would be a time where there would be Egyptian bondage. But at the same time, Yosef also recognized that there would be a time of a return to Eretz Yisrael. And upon the return of Eretz Yisrael, they would be involved in agriculture. Yosef's brothers were not yet ready for this. And therefore they viewed Yosef as a rodef. They viewed him as one who was trying to destroy their way of life. Lack of recognition that what Yosef saw is that the mission of Yaakov Avinu included not only being a shepherd, but also being connected to the land. But the brothers were right. Being connected to the land posed challenges. Challenges of acquisition, challenges of of possession, challenges of being so involved in the physical world that you fail to recognize the hand of God. Who was going to be correct? As we know, Yosef succeeded. Yosef's dreams came true. But what's that mean? How can we be involved? Why were the brothers not correct? How can we essentially be involved in the physical world and not lose sight of who really is the physical provider, the one behind the scenes? 
for that, we'll have to conclude in next lesson, and we'll hopefully see where La'achla, the word La'achla, which will appear again after the Jews leave Egypt, by the eating of the mon in the desert, and the Torah's comparison of life in the desert to life in Eretz Yisrael. And next week we'll see, and we will see how Shemitah is going to be the thread that connects all these loose ends. Have a good day.